What is up, Gen X? Welcome back to the water cooler. It's good to see you again. I hope you enjoyed your Labor Day weekend and were able to get out and take the day off, enjoy the time with some family, maybe grill a little bit, swim, enjoy that last little bits of summer. It always seems to be that sort of unofficial ending of summer and you know once you get past labor day the weather seems to very quickly decline it never seems to be the same in the spring you know whenever you get the little teases of of warmth it always seems to come back and kick you pretty hard and and winter just hangs on like grim death but you know not not this time of year you know the, the cold seems to come on fast and furious so i hope you enjoyed the little bit of of summer while we have to enjoy it Let's see, then now this past week before the holiday, a couple of interesting things happened as far as the Supreme Court was concerned. Uh, first things first, not too surprising, they ruled and ended the uh, moratorium for evictions. So that was a, a, a positive in my mind. If, if you've heard us a couple of weeks and we were talking about how bizarre you know, that seemed to be that you know the you know the the government or even in this case the CDC could tell you know landlords that they couldn't e- evict people you had you know homeowners who were renting out houses while they you know moved or who were unable to to sell because of that and just a lot of weird implications of it you know the fact that the government can tell you who you can and cannot um evict and re- and rent to again it's just that that just seemed to be a little bit a little bit uh, more of control than than they rightly have. So it was good to see that end. Although a lot of uh, gnashing of teeth happened with that, so not not too surprising. Although that was nothing compared to what happened when the Supreme Court refused to take up the case regarding the Texas heartbeat abortion bill, and from what I understand. You know this bill in Texas, um, you know, forbids abortions after roughly the sixth week of pregnancy, or whenever the, you know, the you know, fetal heartbeat uh, can be detected. And predictably, you know, a lot of uh, you know screaming and and doomsday scenarios you know come up from opposition to it. Um, but in this case, you know, the Supreme Court in a in a you know divided uh, ruling refused to take up the case and so the case stands and uh, you know that is now officially that law is allowed to stand uh, in the state of Texas and the predictable uh, wailing from the opposition has has come up and and uh, all these really weird projections of uh, back alley abortions and this, this, that, and the other. I, I don't, I don't really understand it. Um, whether you agree with it or you don't agree with it, the fact that a state can determine for themselves, you know, through their own elected officials, um, what they are going to allow within the borders of their own state, I think is is certainly something that is appropriate. And if someone in the, within the state of Texas you know, wants to to get it you know, an abortion afterwards, is there anything precluding them from crossing state lines and going elsewhere? I, I'm not aware that, that that is. Um, now again, unless you are taking the stance that, uh, abortions must happen at all costs, if, and whenever possible, um, I, I, I don't see why, I don't see the problem here. Although, you know, it does seem, they seem to set out the roadmap now, um, of, states that are inclined to you know put up more 
restrictions as far as abortions go that they could use you know the Texas law as a map so I don't know what, what will happen if, if other states will follow suit you know I think Florida might be considering something similar but we will see but I, I think the Supreme Court was was right here in their ruling and I applaud them for making that uh, brave choice because Making some, a choice that's brave tends to not be the Supreme Court's calling card. They tend to fall on something that is more popular, something that will be received a little bit more uh, with with warm reception is certainly you know, by the masses, if, if nothing else, by, by the press. So I applaud them for having the stones to stand up for what, what they think was right. And, and, and despite what you might hear from... The social media rounds, they did not rule against it. They just simply did not take up the case. And that's something that's happened over and over again when it's something that uh, is on the sort of left side of the spectrum and, and a case is refused to be heard. You know, they applaud it. Something that goes against them. They have a fit because, you know, we, we've seen over the years that that is something that, you know, the left wants to you know, have the you know, judiciary to you know, be a sort of de facto, uh, you know, judiciary or um, legislature. So they, they they like to legislate from the bench. So when it doesn't happen in their favor, they just simply don't know what to do with themselves. But it did you know, kind of begs the question, what happened to legal safe and rare? Isn't that kind of the mantra that we heard kind of really since like the 90s? You know, that was the sort of populist... Uh, uh, trope as far as abortion goes, it should be legal, safe, and rare. But they seem to be legal, hopefully safe, but as as much as possible. I I, I don't really understand it. Uh, you know, their actions don't don't align with with what they uh, with what they profess. But uh, that's not too surprising when it comes to any anything on the political left. Um, you know, they again, you know, the, you know these. Prospective uh, mothers would certainly have a right to choose an abortion, but, um, or or they seem to argue that you know they should have the right to choose um, abortions. But again, those same people seem to argue that the state has a right to mandate medical uh, procedures, like you know, say I don't know, just off the top of my head, uh, a vaccine. <laughs> it, it it definitely seems to be in conflict for for what they profess. You know the. You know, they, they don't think the government should tell people what to do with their bodies when you know, they are pregnant, but they seem to be more than happy to tell people that they, the government can tell them what to do with their bodies when it comes to um, a virus or trying to protect a virus. So I, I, I just don't really understand it, you know, and, and those, uh, those fascists were out in full force on Twitter, as you would expect, is the, you know, Texas Taliban trended, um, I just, you know, when will they learn that vilifying their opposition like that just doesn't change hearts and minds. It just entrenches people more. And I, I don't understand it. Um, and predictably, you know, Hillary Clinton came out and was frothing at the mouth, but I, I saw that Rose McGowan came and just skewered her for it. You know, she's like, you know, you have no, no credibility here. You have no, no right to, to weigh in on this because of you know, her past actions regarding you know, her husband and with Epstein and so on. Uh, that was, so I thought that was that was notable and interesting, but uh, you know, no no shortage of hypocrisy when it comes to you know the leftist trending on on Twitter and and the you know, so-called right to choose because that only seems to be the right to choose when they think you ought to, right? So whatever, I I, I don't really get it. 
I read a very, very interesting article, now switching gears, uh, this past week um, related to uh, all things COVID. And it was an article in The Federalist, and it was written by Molly McCann. So I'm going to give her all the credit in the world uh, for this article, but I, I could not agree more when it when it comes to you know things that she was saying and i hope that somehow people will start getting the message out here because we we don't seem to hear it but i think more people than we realize share this perspective you know you, you see thousands hundreds of thousands protesting in france against vaccine mandates and vaccine passports, but you don't really seem to see it reported much. But, I mean, the, these protests that they have are, are quite significant. You saw the same thing in in the uh, in the UK, you know, all kinds of protests against these mandates. And, you know, truckers in Australia, you know, this past weekend were protesting because of their harsh lockdowns, you know, the draconian lockdowns that they have in Australia and even in New Zealand but widely spread, at least on in the social media circles and in in the the greater press at large, you, you don't seem to hear it. But it's more than a groundswell, and hopefully, you know, people like Molly McCann can have her voice heard more. Um, but her article in the Federalist is titled "Pretending COVID is an Emergency is Killing America." And of course, you know that you know that uh, sort of headline will will capture attention and certainly grab mine. Um, but I'll just kind of read a few excerpts and I, you know, I encourage you to go out and read it yourself. And, and uh, you know, she just was brilliant in, in her points that she makes. But she starts off saying, you know, the Western world is living a massive COVID lie. That lie is strangling the life out of liberty and it will destroy our constitutional order if we do not end this hor- horrifying charade. And she refers to an uh, article in The Gar- Guardian, um, again, you know, France's you know, vaccine passport um, as an example. And again, there's massive protests that are going on against, against that. Um, but the article you know, describes the great plague that struck Marseille in 1720, you know, the kind of the final, final wave of, of the Black Death. And it notes that it killed more than half of this city's population. You know, so they you know they use that as a backdrop. They use that as sort of your benchmark and your comparison. Um, and it said, um, she says, you know, the three hundred years on, President Emmanuel Macron is walking an equally tricky tightrope. Hopefully, you spotted the glaring problem with this comparison. The seventeen twenty in seventeen twenty the great plague in Marseille killed more than half the city's population. We've gotten to the point in this quote-unquote pandemic where government leaders are worryingly high percentage of the American people are acting like COVID is a crisis on par with Marseille's great plague. We have been buried in facts, figures, and mountains of data, constantly shifting information, misinformation, and more. We are relentlessly briefed by the media about the rising infection rates or the current capacity of local ICUs, but cut through it all and ask how many Americans are dying. According to John Hopkins, the fatality rate of COVID in the United States is 1.7%, which means that 98.3% survive. That takes into account all deaths, including people who had underlying conditions and the elderly. Excluding those who are obviously high risk, the survival rate is close to 100%. Standing ovation for Molly McCann, I the way that she laid that out, I think was perfect. That's just chef's kiss. I mean, it's just 
awesome. Uh, she goes on to say, if COVID were ever an emergency, it is no, it is no longer now. And it has not been for quite a long time. Is It is a nasty disease to be sure, but it is one that we are going to have to live with and learn to treat. Again, I've been saying this for a number of weeks. Stop moving the goalposts. Stop acting like zero infections or zero um, cases is the goal because it's never going to happen. Not in your lifetime, not in mine, not in our kids likely. This is just here. We're going to have to deal with it. And in all likelihood, we're probably all going to get it at some point in time. We just have to live with it. Thanks to the Communist Party of China. Thanks to science for their gain-of-function research and creating this thing. But it's here now. It's not going away. We're not going to inoculate it away you know, like we did you know, smallpox or polio or a number of other things. We're just not. And we can't act like we can. And... And you know the way that she says it now, it's again it's something that we have to learn to live with and treat. And the, and the more I you know I keep thinking that we should focus on the treatment of these things, the more and bizarrely, people are just railing against the treatment of it. You saw this this past week where ivermectin be, you know came under under scope and was mocked you know left and right as you know a horse tranquilizer and this this that and the other I mean, where this thing won the nobel prize a number of years ago for being you know innovative innovative and being able to treat you know malaria like you know, symptoms in in africa and, and so on it had all kinds of great benefits and it's true it's not yet approved by the fda to treat covid but there are some who who find promise in it um, not the least notable of which would, was Joe Rogan. You know, this past weekend, you know, he came down, you know, positive with it, and he said, you know, the first day he felt really bad, but he took, you know, ivermectin among another uh, uh, other regiments, and within a day, he, you know, he felt fine, and and in short order, he tested negative for it. So, again, you know, take that for what you will. It might be somewhat anecdotal, but at least in his case, you know, under the care of his doctor. Uh, that's what he did, and um, and it worked. But now then you have you know, all these fantastic articles and headlines that get a lot of attention, like the Rolling Stone, I said, I think said, you know, in Miami or somewhere that, you know, 70% of people in, you know, trying to be treated in emergency rooms, including gunshot victims, were turned away because so many people are are checking themselves into ERs because of ivermectin poisoning and blah, 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 blah. Well, it turns out that, you know, less than 2% or so um, were, you know, fallen into that case. And they had to, you know, quietly retract their assertions, quietly re- retract that article, which really probably means that, like, a person... <laughs> In the ER came in with, with that, but they just ran with it, extrapolated, made it something that it wasn't, and uh, here we are. But that's that's what we get with with the media now. They they are are all about uh, drumming um, drumming fear with this. But they any any truth uh, and optimism as far as treatment goes, they squash it quick. Uh, anyway, we finish up here with with Molly's article. Um, she says, if we do not say the truth and end this false emergency, we, we will lose our liberty forever, which is what I've been saying over and over and over again. I don't understand hatred against people who wear a mask and don't wear a mask. I don't understand hatred for people who want to get a vaccine or don't want to get a vaccine. We should be celebrating our liberty and we should be allowing everybody their freedom to choose that. And if you want to live in fear, stay home. If you want to live your life, go live your life. I don't understand 
why we feel the need to cut everybody down. Um, but you know, she, she describes how you know, you know throughout this uh, you know since March, last March, um, you know we you know locked down and we we ceded our constitutional government to be kind of ruled by executive, right? We, but we're supposed to have three independent independent branches, both in state and and the federal government, to provide some sort of check and balance. But we kind of ceded that to the executive branch and kind of you know by default by default to the legislative as well. Um, and all these lockdown orders and mandate, mask mandates, they've done very little to nothing to stem the tide. And now, you know, the vaccine mandates seem to be taking that. But then now we have variants and and vaccine-resistant strains. And it's just everything that they've said we should do turns up to blow in our face. And people that disagree with them get blamed for it. It's really, really bizarre. She goes on to say, many courts have all but rubber stamped their actions. James Madison straightforwardly warned in Federalist 47, the accumulation of all powers, legislative, executive, and judicial, in the same hands, may justly be pronounced the very definition of tyranny. That is what we've seen over and over and all across the country, particularly in blue states and certainly here in Illinois. We've seen that exact same thing. All the accumulation of powers in one hand is the definition of tyranny. And that's what we what you see over and over again. And there's some people who celebrate it. And I just simply don't understand. Um, but I, I encourage you to to read her article and to and to um and get her point. You know, she goes on and a bit and and, and uh, okay. Here, I'll I'll end with this because I th- I think it's brilliant. I've used you know this uh, this example as well. But she said, you know, COVID is not an emergency. People are not dying in droves. There's no justification for the continued suspension of American form of self government that secures all our individual rights and liberties. In the emperor's new clothes, it was the honesty of a child that finally exposed the emperor and the people for fools when he cried out, but he hasn't got anything on. It is long past time to speak the truth. There is no true COVID emergency. Enough is enough. Return America to its proper constitutional order and insist, insist on consent of the governed. Hear, hear, applaud Molly McCann. Uh, read that article. I, it, I I got so much out of it. I think she was spot on and she deserves all her credit world for it. Now, as far as other odd COVID related news, I saw one tweet that I thought was, was pretty funny. Raised a good point. It should point out how last October on the campaign trail, Joe Biden was, if I even tweeted it, you know, he says more than this is from August 8th or August 5th, 2020, he tweets, more than 200,000 Americans have died. 50,000 Americans are getting the virus every day. 1,000 a day are dying. This is a national emergency. The president should take responsibility. And and he said over and over on the campaign trail, you know, 200,000 are dying. We're going to have another 200,000 die by the end of the year, blah, 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 blah. As though you know, sort of de facto, any any deaths and, and cases are directly responsible responsible for the president. Well, fast forward to today, you know, according to the New York Times, there are 164,396 cases a day versus uh, 50,000 in October, according to President Biden. There are 1,521 deaths per day versus 1,000 a year ago. 
Total deaths, 645,383 versus 200,000 a year ago. Therefore, using his same logic from last October, uh, the president should take responsibility, maybe, you know, and all these spikes in cases. Is, is that on him now? I mean, that's what he was telling us last October. But it, on September 2nd, the, these are the new, da- new data, you know, three times as many cases per day. Uh, 50% more deaths per day. Uh, is that on him? Is that on you, Joe? Is that on your administration there, Joe? I don't know. You, you tell me. Uh, that, but that's what you were telling us a year ago. But n- very few people seem to be calling out that fool on it. Um, they, they, but the, you know, the press is just going to keep drumming the narrative, and, and the narrative continues to take a hit. And last example of that, the, of the narrative taking a hit, I saw an article on issues and insights uh, this past week, which kept, caught my eye because this is something that's near and dear to my heart. It says that the uh, headline is Global Warming Narrative Takes Another Hit. And of course, you're, you're going to sucker me into that every time. But the article um, points out particularly uh, the point about Arctic ice sheets, right? And we're, we're constantly told that Arctic ice sheets are melting and that's going to cause, you know, catastrophic flooding all along the coasts around the globe and blah, 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 blah. Well, and what we've seen over the past number of years is contrary to that narrative, uh, the Antarctic ice sheets are not shrinking. In fact, they're growing. According to the Japan Meteorological Agency, the continent's annual maximum sea ice has grown for three straight years. The annual mean is increasing, and the annual minimum has also expanded for three consecutive years. The long-term trend lines for the annual maximum and mean starting in 1979 are noticeably moving upward, while the trend for annual minimum is ascending as well, though much more modestly doesn't really quite fit the doomsday narrative that we've been told. Although we did find that very funny uh, news clip from the, the mid-70s, I think it was 76, when there was a harsh winter and they were predicting the oncoming ice age and that global ice sheets would would be expanding on the coast and, and be pushing people inward and there'd be no place to live. And you know, Same doomsday scenario, but uh, the means of it happening were a little bit different. But it it goes on to give an example about the you know Great Lakes, like here in in uh, Illinois, you know, we live right by Lake Lake Michigan, and you know for years they've been predicting that the Great Lakes are going to dry up because of man-made global warming, yada yada yada. Um, and then in, in the article says, in the term favored by the current augment of the White House, that is malarkey. And uh, what we're seeing is you know, much like the Ant- Antarctic ice sheet. Uh, it's quite the opposite, where the the uh, levels of water levels of the Great Lakes are not not only are they not receding, but they're actually kind of growing just a little little bit. Um, we've also learned that there has been no change in sea surface temperatures along the Australia's Great Barrier Reef in 150 years. Now, deaths associated with extreme temperatures have been declining since 2000. And the EPA and National Hurricane Center data show that hurricanes have neither become more numerous or powerful during the past half century of modest warming. 
So I th thought that was quite interesting, particularly after this past week where you know, Hurricane Ida has wreaked some havoc in Louisiana and caused you know, massive fl flooding as it uh, takes its tropical storm form up in the northeast. Yeah, and all of that is it's you know, certainly tragic, and it you know those people certainly deserve our our support and and help. But there is simply no evidence to suggest that that storm or any others are a direct result of human activity and any kind of global warming. But interesting, interesting articles over the past week. I encourage you to check those out. Uh, if you're like me, you'll learn a little bit from it. Okay, now last. I saw the, the story that Comedy Central has chosen to censor, censor the episode of The Office of Diversity Day. Now, I'm not a huge Office fan. I liked the first few seasons. I thought they were pretty funny. I personally preferred the BBC version of The Office. And, and, you know, the original I thought was much better. Most people, including uh, my niece and my nephew, they just love The Office. And they've seen the, all the, the entire series multiple times. And they quote it. And you know, we quote it in The Office at, at work you know, quite often because you know, there's a lot of you know, your relatable comedy there. So I, I, I get it. I appreciate it. But you know, it's not my absolute favorite that, that it tends to be for a lot of people. But Diversity Day is one of those sort of uh, bellwether um, of uh, episodes in the, in the series. And it's the one, if, if you can remember, that you know, Michael Scott, uh, there's some, they have a consultant come in to teach about diversity. And you know, he, he wants to be seen as... Um, and very accepting, and, and, and as a leader, and open. So he does. He takes exception to someone else coming in and stealing his thunder. So he's going to hold a diversity day, and and as you would expect from from a sitcom and from Michael Scott, you know the character, it just descends into the absurd where he has you know, people putting index cards on their forehead uh, with a, a race written on there, and people are supposed to treat them the way that you know they would be treated in a very stereotypical way and it's it's over the top it's goofy and at the end of the episode of course michael scott comes off looking like a buffoon and in his in his attempt to be to be seen as popular and enlightened he does the exact opposite and he's just so over the top and insulting and 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 borderline racist that he is is the fool and and it just kind of makes that point and uh, and, and just makes me wonder and ask the question you know is is uh is satire dead because that, that was what that's, that episode is. And the satire in that episode is actually quite brilliant. You know, that you know, people who profess themselves to be enlightened and, and, and accepting and, and anti-racist largely tend to be the opposite. You know, they tend to be the opposite of what they, what they profess. And they are so, so up their own butt, they don't even, they don't even recognize it. They don't even see it. Um, but, but that's, uh, that's the point of the episode. And the exact point of the episode seems to be the reason why it's being censored. It's just, it's odd. Um, and, and we've seen this over and over again. You know, how many episodes of South Park have been taken off, you know, because of, of those types of concerns. And, and I mean, South Park is as satirical as you're going to find on any show. You even had that, that Michael Jackson episode uh, of The Simpsons 
you know that where he you know sings to Lisa on her birthday, and that was taken out of syndication and and out of streaming because you know that one HBO special on Michael Jackson. I mean, I just it's just weird. I mean, is there is comedy dead? You know, is satire dead? Because it certainly feels like it. Um, but in I mean, it, it just makes me wonder: Do they think we're stupid? Do they think that we are incapable of watching these shows and watching this satire and coming away from it with the, the salient point like that? I mean, do they think that we're so stupid that we're going to look at Michael Scott and think, oh, gee, that's how I should treat people. That's how I should treat minorities in very stereotypical and insulting in your face way. I mean, I, is that what they think we're going to we're going to do? I mean, it's just, it's absurd and it's so insulting and I just, just can't take it. Um, it, it, it just is, and it, it wasn't always the point of comedy, particularly stand-up comedy, but you know, TV shows as well. Wasn't it the job of comedy to make us a little uncomfortable, you know, to make us laugh at ourselves and to see the absurdity of some of our behavior and kind of break down some of those barriers I think back to when we were kids and watching and listening to Richard Pryor and George Carlin and others and you know, kind of the things that they said, you know, how much they, you know, they would skewer, you know, religion and, and our government and our culture and those types of things. And not, and not like you necessarily agreed with everything that came out of their mouths, but at the same time, you could see their point. You could see the, the humor that they were injecting and it made you laugh and kind of made you think a little bit and you moved on. I, I, I don't get why we've come to this point where we just can't laugh at ourselves. We can't have any satire. Um, and it, it's just, it, it's exhausting. You know, the woke culture is, it's, it's just warmed over Marxism, you know, and it, the more people try to embrace it and try to overtly prove themselves as say, you know, like they're not racist may almost only makes them more racist. You know, they try to make themselves to be not sexist. They prove themselves to be even more. Um, I, I just, I just can't get it. And I certainly don't need more TV shows to be censored and taken off of the air, but you know, that's just me. You know, I'm a Gen Xer. I grew up all this stuff. I can take it, but maybe others can't. I don't know. Whatever. Well, with that, I'm going to take my, my cup of water. I'm going to go back to work and, and get back to the routine after our holiday weekend. So until next time, uh, keep working hard, keep fighting all the nonsense, and I will see you next time. Shout out to Bart Simpson, and I'll see you later. Stay cool, Gen X.